Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. Let's say a prayer. It's our, it's our feast day of St. James. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, you have made us one with your saints in heaven and on earth. Grant that in our earthly pilgrimage, we may always be supported by this fellowship of love and prayer and know ourselves to be surrounded by their witness to your power and mercy. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom all our intercessions are acceptable through the Spirit, and who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. So the last topic that we have is the, king, is the kingdom kingship and kingdom and that will wrap up our our summer series and one of the things uh, that i should say is in i think what's been a seven week series we could have picked any number of of themes and and pulled psalms to fit you know maybe 10 more themes than what we've chosen and you might just think about that categorically uh, how would I, as I read and pray and sing the Psalms, where does that one go? And what category do I place that one in my life? And one of the great things about the Psalter and the backbone in which it has been for Christian worship for 2,000 years, and, and certainly uh, a critical foundation for Anglican worship with the daily Psalter, or rather the daily office, and a couple of psalms in the morning and a couple in the evening. In our, our worship of Holy Eucharist, we still engage the Psalter, what we might call the, you know, the hymnal of, of Jesus for us Christians, you know, his, his hymnal. Um, we take up those songs. And as we sing them and pray them and engage them year in and year out uh, throughout our lifetime, one of the great things about the Psalter and any other bit of scripture, frankly, is that you can read it at one season in your life and it can mean something very different uh, when a new thing is happening in your life. And it might just strike a chord in the depths of your being uh, in a way that it never, never has before. And sometimes you might say, you know, sing it or pray it or read it like you might any other bit of the scripture and say, ah, okay moving right along to the next collect or on to the next reading. And then that same Psalm comes back five years later and it's like, man, do I have ears to hear that now? And this is the living and active word of God. And to think of the literary text of scripture um, as the place of encounter between us and the, and the word of God whom we know was made flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. And it was great for James and John and Peter and Mary. They all got to, you know, walk around with him and thousands of others and see him. And that's amazing. But what does John's gospel say? You know, blessed are those who uh, have not seen and yet believe. And that the scriptures become a place of encounter for us. We, where we are bumping into the living God. 
And, and the Psalter is such an extraordinary place for us to uh, find that revelatory gift, this place of encounter where we can be changed. And, and as James said in his first sermon at St. James, you know, fall in love. And, and that, have that be our kind of absolute and final, or however you said it, uh, our real love and commitment. So, kingdom. Let's do a bit of a recap, not a recap, a very short narrative arc of the Old Testament. The world is created. So we have, a, we have a God who creates, who says, let it be so, and it is so, and it is very good. It's very good indeed. And then things quickly, you know, go off the rails. So this creational gift, this creational monotheism, which we are heir to, uh, th- this God is, is a creator, this God is creating every moment. Things go off the rails, and God calls Abraham and Sarah to set things back on course so that the creation, the creation, will be restored and renewed. God's good creation. And God is using Abraham and Sarah, and the offspring of Abraham and Sarah are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they are going to be a blessing to all the nations through the way that they live. And the way they live is shaped on who it is they worship, the living God, Yahweh. So they set off and their promised land. We then uh, enter into covenant. So now we have a God who is a creational and a covenantal God. Now, fast forward, Exodus, Moses, the law, we get into the land. There's, there's, new, there's a covenant made with Moses. So again, a creational and covenantal God where everyone, or rather Israel, is to be a blessing to all the nations. Now, Israel is aware that God, Yahweh, is king. God is king. So they don't need a king like all the other nations because they have God. And the book of you know, Samuel and Kings tells the story of Israel saying, but we want to be just like everybody else. We want to be like all the other nations. They have a cool king with a crown. We should too, right? And, uh, and Samuel is quite disturbed by this, the prophet. You know, the, these sort of people, they still don't get it. They have you, God, as king. And through their worship and service of you, they're to be a blessing to all the nations. Now they're pining after a king and their distinctive character is going to be compromised. And God says to Samuel, let it, let it be. It's not your fault, Samuel. It's their fault. I'll deal with it. <laughs> let, them, let them have a king and see how that goes. And then, of course, we have uh, the stories of the kings. Uh, Saul is our first king. And then we have David. And David becomes a, a pivotal player in the history. A, a covenant is made with David that... 
in his lineage, there will be a, a, a king that will finally allow Israel to gather in all the nations and be a blessing to all the nations. So this covenant is now sort of focused in on a lineage of kingship. Quick recap, creational, covenantal, king-like acting God. Okay? All right. So now let's, let's look at some of the Psalms and how, what do they think about kingship, both King David and that office, and, 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 what, and what of God's kingship and how do those relate? And then I'll want to say something about the gospel stories being the story of how God finally becomes king. The Gospels are a story about how God becomes king through the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. God is enthroned as king at last so that Israel can be a blessing to all nations. All right, let me get my notes here uh, for the forum. Okay, I have Psalm 24 first, so we'll look at Psalm 24. I will, I'll share my screen here. Uh, Carol, how do you feel about reading this? You're first on my video screen here. Okay, thanks. Thank you. The earth is the Lord's and all it is in it, the world and all who dwell therein. For it is he who founded it upon the seas and made it firm upon the rivers of the deep. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not pledged themselves to falsehood, nor sworn by what is fraud. They shall receive a blessing from the Lord and a just reward from the God of their salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, of those who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is he, this King of glory? the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Thank you, Carol. So look at verse one. This is our creational God of creation. The earth is the Lord's. And then, you know, it's clear throughout this Psalm that, you know, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. God, God is king. That's the point here, is just to say that um, in, in the hymn book, we are worshiping God as king whose dominion stretches from sea to sea, you know, all the way around. <laughs> no borders. To God's kingdom. Um, go back to my notes here. 
Psalm 93. And Nancy Farrell, you're next on my video list. Would you mind? Okay. Uh, the Lord is king. He has put on splendid apparel. The Lord has put on his apparel and girded himself with strength. He has made the whole world so sure that it cannot be moved. Ever since the world began, your throne has been established. You are from everlasting. The waters have lifted up, O Lord. The waters have lifted up their voice. The waters have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the sound of many waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, mightier is the Lord who dwells on high. Your testimonies are very sure, and holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever and forevermore. Thank you, Nancy. So again, we have a God who's created the world and who lives and reigns over the world. And nice, you know, the sound of many waters and the breakers of the sea, but mightier is, is, is God. And when we think about that, when we pray that, you know, that can be such a reassuring word in the midst of uh, many waters that might be pouring over us. Think of our gospel accounts where we're up to our neck in the, in the water. And it is the, the God of creation and the God of covenant made flesh who reaches out and rescues us from the chaos of the seas. And we discover him to be mightier than the many waters, right? So we have a, a, a God who lives and reigns. Holiness adorns your house. We have this putting on splendid apparel. Now think of the temple and think of, of worship. What is God's house? The temple. Uh, that's where God abides and, and where we gather to worship. Psalms 95 through 100, we're not going to read all five or six of them, but they are a great section. They're a great section to spend some time with as you're thinking through the sovereignty of God and this theme of, of kingdom. Of course, Psalm 95 is at the beginning of morning prayer each morning. We're coming to sing to the Lord. We're shouting for joy. And for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all the gods. Why? Because in God's hands are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his. The sea is his. His hands have molded the dry land. So what do we do in response to this creator God? We bow down and we bend the knee and kneel before our maker. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. And it's a, what a great thing to say every morning. Uh, at least I need to say it. Oh, that today, Zach, you would hearken to his voice. Uh, because, you know, I say Psalm 95 most every morning. And when I say that, it's a daily reminder for me to pay attention to what voice am I listening to today? All sorts of them, all the time. Some of them um, positive, some of them not. Some of them full of anxiety and trepidation. Um, but... Listen, know that today you would listen, you would hearken to his voice and not have a hard heart as the forebears in the wilderness. The daily recitation 
in the way that it's forming in our imagination, it's forming for us the, the Psalms in particular and biblical engagement more broadly. It's giving us a different worldview, a biblical worldview. And we all have, that's you know, maybe a little theoretical, but we're all walking around with multiple uh, worldviews. Typically for us in um, the 21st century and for the last several hundred years, we're all sort of practicing Epicureanism. The God is, you know, if there's a God, God is, Epicureanism is an ancient philosophy. You know, you can sign up for it if you wish. <laughs> people have, people do, we often do. Um, where, you know, insofar as there is a God, God is way up in the sky and did a nice, nice job or not such a, a great job creating. And now it's just un, uninterested and unengaged, disengaged from the world. So what we now do is make ourselves kings and queens and we order everything because it's all relying upon us. Epicureanism. It's on offer. Many days we live by it um, until we sort of realize, wow, gosh, I'm not in control, am I? Maybe God is, <laughs> right? But if we're, say, if we're saying the Psalms on a daily basis or a regular basis and we're reading our Bibles and we're coming to worship uh, on Zoom, you know, we're staying engaged in biblical narrative. Again, it's the literary context in which we encounter the living God. And then our imagination is shaped with a biblical worldview, right? And that's, that's not the sort of simple way that some people think that like the Bible says this right here, that's, you know, the biblical worldview is complex and multifaceted and necessitates theological sophistication. In other words, it necessitates being a part of like the church that has been thinking and reasoning for a couple thousand years. And not just like I open my Bible and I have some ideas. The Bible says this, this is a biblical worldview. That's super modern and not like the tradition of the church. So we, as members of the body, use our gift of reason, the gift of 2,000 years of insight, and our imagination uh, is, is captured by the biblical worldview so that we're living within the realm of God's reign, a God of creation and covenant. And it's just like anything else. If we want to get decent at doing anything, it takes some work. And there are other voices that are so powerful and all pervasive that we are tuned into, whether we want to be or not, that for us to be attuned to the biblical worldview, the sacramental worldview, we have to put in some effort, right? You've heard me joke that, you know, in this pandemic, I've had some good weeks or months of running and some not so good. And when I take a few weeks off and I come back, it is ugly out there in the park. Like, it's not good because I haven't been practicing and just doing the work. Similarly with prayer. If I'm taking the time to say my prayers, which doesn't have to be this elaborate one hour intensive prayer session in the morning and at night, you know, it might be five minutes here and 15 minutes there, whatever it is for you. It's that you're having that daily interaction um, and, and soaking yourselves in that biblical worldview. So you remember like, aha, this is where I found life. 
again and again and again. And now I'm all knotted up with anxiety and I'm living in this world of all these other voices, true as though some of them may be, but this is where we've discovered truth and life. So I need to go back to the well, go back to the fountain. And again, the Psalms are our daily dose for 2000 years to get back into that covenantal, creational, sacramental worldview. Uh, Carmen, you're next up on my list. Do you feel like reading? You can give me a thumbs up. Yeah, there you go. You're quick. Sure. Yeah, read 47 <laughs> for us if you don't mind. Yeah. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a cry of joy. For the Lord most high is to be feared. He is the great king over all the earth. He subdues the people under us and the nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the ram's horn. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is king of all the earth, sing praises with all your skill. God reigns over the nations, God sits upon his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. The rulers of the earth belong to God, and he is highly exalted. Thank you, Carmen. I have a, a pop quiz, and you'll have to unmute yourself if you know the answer. What feast day in particular in the Christian calendar do we use Psalm 47? Is it Ascension? Bam, Ascension, you got it. Gold star. <laughs> I can hear the anthem that we normally sing. I was, I was sort of- <laughs> It's through music. <laughs> I was banking on some of our musicians to sort of say, you sing this, come on, you're gonna know it. Yeah, that's exactly it, Carmen. And you know, the, the Feast of the Ascension. And uh, of course here, you know, he, he goes up with a, God has gone up with a shout the Lord with the sound of the ram's horn. Feast of the Ascension is when we remember 40 days after the resurrection that Christ ascends into the heavenly realm and sits at God's right hand. So now God has gone up with a shout and is king over all the earth. So that Jesus is, Jesus is king is again the story of the gospels. Um, and I'll say more about that momentarily. So, you know, another Psalm says, rulers of the earth, be warned, be wise. So if Jesus is king and some Christians start proclaiming that in the Roman Empire, that's a dangerous insurrection politically, right? Like we think that the gospel sometimes let's like not make it political. Let's keep it nice and spiritual. You know, it's just about our interiority. It's not about politics. That is very modern. And the early Christians, like James, who went to their death, knew it to be nothing but spiritual, political, religious, all in one, just the true story <laughs> that they inhabit. So, you know, you start going around the empire claiming that God is king. Jesus is king enthroned. And, you know, this king has enacted that 
uh, male or female, rich or poor, all of these Roman categories that were deeply, deeply established no longer uh, matter. <laughs> There's a new, new law. There's a new way of being together. Radically changes the world. Radically has shifted world history. Uh, because Christians, Jesus followers, started saying, aha, God is king over all the earth. God has entered into Israel as, as Messiah, as word made flesh. And God has crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Christ reigns. So now everything is subject. So you rulers, be wise. Um, and, and notice here, uh, 47.9, the nobles of the peoples have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. That's the promise. Not that Israel is going to be really fabulous for themselves, but that the light is going to radiate out so that the nations will come. That's, of course, what the story of the Magi that we get uh, is about. It's the peoples of, of the earth coming to the light, coming to the king. Provocative stuff. I mean, if you really hear the Gospels in their political, with their political connotations, let's work through some of that. Um, the climax of, again, Samuel and Kings is that uh, God is going to rule, rule the whole world. And what that is going to look like is that um, uh, Israel is going to have a Messiah. And this Messiah, of course, uh, comes in not with uh, military tanks, but on a donkey and lays down his life nonviolently and shows us that love is the power, uh, the, the enduring power that sustains all things. So that's how God becomes king uh, in Christ. And then Christ goes about creating a new heart in each one of us. And then that, that saving of the world, that mission from the beginning of Genesis, is, uh, it finds its climax. So Luke tells us that, you know, Augustus is on the throne and all the world must be registered for taxes. And then Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem because Augustus, someplace over in the empire, says this, you know, go register people for taxes, make everybody do that. Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem where Israel's Messiah is to be born. That's the Old Testament story. And anyone who knew that story, which is like, you know, everybody in Israel, anyone who knows the story knows that the Messiah is to be king from one side of the globe to the other. So if the Messiah is coming over in Bethlehem, Luke knows exactly what he's doing. Augustus over here as hotshot king. Everybody who hears Luke's gospel, the good news, knows what he's doing here. Messiah comes in Bethlehem. Messiah is to be king over the whole world. So Augustus, be warned. Be wise, you kings. Our gospel and uh, how the early Christians heard this unmistakably, they, they just wouldn't miss this. We have to do a little bit more work as 21st century people to kind of hear how first century Christians would have heard this story that Luke was telling, shifted to Matthew. He has Herod the Great and, and Herod's plot uh, to, to kill all the you know, young babies around. But then he's out 
outwitted by the Magi, again, who are the symbol of Israel's God being king over all the earth. The people of the nations are now coming. So you have Herod in all of his power, his kingly power, killing off children, trying to get after Jesus. And then you have the world's people turning up. Matthew, clever, Luke, I get you. This is subversive stuff. If God is king, subversive. The story of the New Testament is about how God becomes king in the person of Jesus. Deeply subversive. Still is today. Mark, he has uh, a centurion. Remember, at the end of his account, say this man really was the son of God. That's what the centurion said. And in the coin of the pocket of the centurion would have been all of his coins would have had the heads of the emperor, right? That's a son of God. So Mark knows just what he's doing by having a centurion say, this is the son of God. He belongs on the coin, so to speak. This is the emperor. This is king. And then one of my favorite parts of all of scripture, uh, we have John uh, 18, where Jesus and Pilate have their have their showdown and you know Pilate, what is the famous sort of what is what is truth but Pilate in john's account is shown to be without power and jesus goes to death to unveil the all-powerful love of god and is and is raised as as messiah and all authority on heaven and earth is given to christ so if the Gospels tell the story of how God became king, it shows this as an alternative kingdom, an alternative to the rulers of this world. You know, the rulers of this world lorded over, not so among you. We hear about James. Lord, let me be right, or, you know, his mom. <laughs> Please give my son a good spot in your kingdom. You know, can you drink this cup? It's just not going, the way that this power works is so radically different from how power works in the world of the first century, the world now. Uh, and, and Jesus is showing us an alternative to the politics of the kingdoms of this world. I've been preaching a little bit on that the last month or whatever it's been. And it's, it's critical stuff. That we, that we get what Jesus and the Gospels are up to is, is the climax of Israel's story. What Israel has known all along, God is king. And now we're saying, God is king. And we have, we've met him face to face. And again, because apparently I like this idea today, we meet him face to face in the literary text of scripture. That is the place of encounter. And we meet him in the sacraments, in our worship, in our shared life. We meet him in our mission and service to the poor, etc. Christ reveals himself. But, you know, primarily, foundationally, we meet Christ in the literary text of Scripture. So spend time in the Bible, read your Psalms. Um, think about how it is that you are cultivating a biblical sacramental imagination. And know that when you're not cultivating it, 
something else is being cultivated. <laughs> Another worldview is pressing strong to get your attention and have your allegiance. But we are to make ultimate allegiance here and, and find uh, we've, we have discovered the world's true story through the gift of faith uh, in our scripture, our worship, and our sacraments. We've been met by Christ, the King, uh, and we have pledged to serve him. And we do so some days and we don't others, but he is a merciful King um, who lays down his life for us and is like that, you know, father and, and the son of uh, the story of the, the prodigal son running out to meet us when we say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've made a mess of things again. And God has, you know, we're met by the living Christ by put on the finest robe and rings and wash him up and throw a feast. That's our God. Thanks be to God. All right, friends. Um, it's late. Um, so I don't think we're going to break into small groups, which I'm sorry about. Um, but I don't think we have enough time. What I do invite you to do is uh, get into the conversation here and just, you know, you might, I might ask the question, you might just share sort of a thought off of what we've said so far, but you know, how share a, a practice, how is it that you cultivate the biblical worldview, the sacramental worldview in your life? What does it feel like to you to say that, you know, God is king uh, and that the stories of the gospel, of the gospels, um, are, are, an, are a narrative showing us what it looks like for God to become king in the person of Jesus. So how do you cultivate a biblical worldview? What does it feel like to say that God is king and that Jesus reigns and all kings should be wise. And remember to read Psalms 95 to 100 at some point. I'll say something briefly. It's Alexandra. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Um, just briefly, um, and I got this idea from someone else. This is not my idea, but um, every August, I sit down with the Book of Common Prayer, and you'll note that uh, all of the Psalms are divided up into morning and evening prayer over 30 days. So for 30 days, August 1 through 30, every day in the morning and evening, I will take the Psalms appointed for that particular time. I'll not only say it, but I'll sing it. I will sing through this. I'll make up melodies. And for some reason, singing it instead of speaking it, for me at least, brings me closer to God. And I do that for 30 days, and I feel on August 30th every year, my view, worldview is radically shifted because I've just spent time with the Psalms and with God in a more concentrated way. Thanks for sharing that, Alexandra. I second the, you know, the, the chanting of the Psalms. Um, I do that much to my children's chagrin during this uh, pandemic. Uh, I just go out to the breakfast table and off I go. And they usually just go and play with their Legos or something and let dad do his thing. But, you know, St. Augustine said, whatever, praying, singing is like praying twice or something to that effect. It's twice as effectual. And he's on to something. I mean, we lift up our voice 
and we use our bodies, we make our bodies a musical instrument. And it's, it taps into this, he who sings praise twice. Thank you, Ray. Uh, he who sings praise twice. We use our body as an instrument and it shows this, um, you know, bodily worship is really important. I like to say all that, like, we're not just big bobbleheads walking around, receive, like getting more information. We're embodied creatures. And when we use our body to praise, um, something can happen. I loved when I was in Atlanta and I went to Emory, uh, sometimes there would be like a, the black church studies group would take over worship in the chapel. And that would just be awesome. I mean, I don't like dance in worship because I'm a white dude, I guess, but like, it was so powerful the way they would use their bodies and their, their singing and just put it out there and using all the senses, beautiful stuff. And we have a tradition of Anglican, uh, even a choral, an Anglican choral tradition. I'm thinking of choral evensong, where, you know, you can just hear some of the most exquisite uh, settings of the Psalter and anthems that are, I do believe that choral evensong is the greatest gift that Anglicanism has made to the church Catholic of 2000 years. I mean, it just take you to another place. Um, it's trans, it's just can transport you to the kingdom of heaven straight away. I found on, uh, I have Apple music, um, and some outfit put together 10 volumes of the complete Psalms of David sung by Salisbury cathedral, Lincoln cathedral, all kind of English cathedral choirs. They're using the 1662 prayer book because that's what they do uh, for Coral Evensong. But it's really fun. If you, you know, you can find a 1662 prayer book online, digitally, you can get one, you might have one. And then if you get these albums, uh, you can listen and track with the prayer book. I've done some of that in uh, Coronavirus Tide, and that has been fun even if my kids are over it a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah. have some, I have um, a spiritual practice before I do my reading. It's called, uh, it's a Christian form of meditation called Centering Prayer. And that releases me, like be still and know that I'm God. It stills me down so that when I open up the Bible, I have more access to God rather than all the voices in my head. And what I've been doing uh, because of this is uh, concentrating on the Psalms. But it's first be still and know that I'm God and then the, and the Bible. Thanks for sharing that, Evelyn. That's beautiful. And that, you know, you stand in a great long tradition there of centering prayer, uh, you know, where you find a, just a simple phrase like be still and know that I am God. And something that's really helpful for me when I practice that form of prayer, in posture matters, like getting in, a, in an upright sort of position and attentive and not sort of slouched over. And you kind of want your hips higher than your knees, but never mind. This isn't about centering prayer and all the details, you know, is to breathe in through your nose, hold it for a moment, and then on the exhalation, a long exhalation, repeat your phrase. Evelyn suggested, be still and know that I'm God. Repeat that just on the exhalation one time as you're exhaling. 
Breathe in. Don't say anything in your head. Hold it. Exhalation. I'm sorry, yeah. Zach. I wasn't very clear about that. Uh, to me, uh, it's not. It's it's the beginning of my of my day, but it's not uh, the phrase. It's a word. Just as we we all have a sacred word mm-hmm. that we quietly. If 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 we we are all uh, different voices come up and we want to get back to the center. We use that one word. So it, it's that's it's not. I don't say be still and know. I have my sacred word, and with that word, it brings me to the center. And my voice has got lower as I kept doing it, but it's still there. But the point of it is to become still. Yeah, yeah that's fabulous. And you make a great point, Evelyn. You know, two things I want to say to that is. One, before uh, engaging scripture, if that's what, what you're setting out to do, to, right. you know, to find that space and then to go into the literary text again for place of encounter. But we have to prepare our, our hearts and our minds to enter into that space. And then the other, just as you say, is throughout the day, you might be walking into a stressful meeting or you know, needing to have a kind of awkward conversation with someone that you really aren't looking forward to, but you know you need to do it. And you, know, you find that word and it connects you back to that practice and, and you find yourself back in the sacramental world. You find yourself in the presence of God and you find the courage and strength that you need. Well, friends, it is 12 o'clock on a Sunday on the seventh forum series, you have been steadfastly devoted. I am impressed and grateful. Um, so be in touch, do good work. You know, you will see tomorrow again, the registration form. If you're in the city, if you feel comfortable coming to worship, fill that out. There's an eight o'clock and a 10 o'clock, eight's in the park, 10 is in the church, 70 people max in the church. Um, if you do not feel comfortable, do not come at this time. We will continue to live stream. Um, but re, you know, be in touch as you have any questions. And we, we are around. Um, I am going on some vacation in the month of August, so I will miss you in August. Uh, Brenda is coming back uh, next Sunday as, after getting a little bit of a break, which you know we all need a little bit of a break always in life. But... Um, I think this pandemic, you know, we've been through the ringer, all of us. So breathe easy, say your prayers, and take it easy on yourself. And I can't wait to see you when I see you. Well, I'll say a prayer and we'll, we'll head on. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of our baptism in which we are raised to new life in the kingdom We thank you for this church, St. James, and on this, his feast day, we pray that you give us courage uh, to stay close to you and to follow you in your ways of laying down our lives for the sake of others, to discover that in servanthood, we are in touch with the power of your love, and we are helping to shape your kingdom so that it might be more and more on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and King. Amen. 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 Amen.
Uh, thank you, Zach. Thank you. Thank you so thank much, you, Zach. Happy Sunday, <laughs> thank you. everybody. Bye. <laughs> to learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.